Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday. Happy Friday to everybody, July 2nd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 22. What is fascinating to me about this chapter is if you were someone were to tell you my favorite chapter is 2 Kings chapter 22, I think 99% of us would say, wait, what happens in 2 Kings chapter 22. But for me, it is not, I wouldn't say my top 10 favorite chapters of the Holy Scriptures, but it definitely is powerful and points us to a powerful God. Because here comes Josiah. He comes not from a great lineage of successful kings, Manasseh, Ammon. Um, they reigned over 57 years in evil ways, but now Josiah comes. Is he going to act in the same way, or will he be a surprise by the power of our Lord? We'll find out. The gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome to welcome with us Pastor Jason Bredesen, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California, and also wing chaplain of the 940th Air Refueling Wing at Beale Air Force Base in California. Pastor Bredesen, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Good morning, Pastor Finner, and it's good to once again be with you all. Now, Pastor, we were last on together in January, and I don't know what's like in California. It's a little different here in Minnesota than it was in January. So tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church. Well, here in uh, California, June 15th was our great day of freedom as uh, we, uh, our governor recognized that the, the coronavirus pandemic was over and subsequently freed all of his uh, constituents and so uh, we are we are maskless we are pleased to be god willing getting on with life as normal here at trinity we're rolling into the summer months uh, looking forward to some r and r here with my family in the next several weeks and uh, the weather here has changed also though probably not as drastically as for you in minnesota uh, <laughs> we've got some nice weather here right now um, not too hot and some pretty beautiful evenings and mornings Wonderful, wonderful. It is. Uh, well, tell us this too. We are very thankful for uh, uh, pastors like yourself that serve in our military and you serve in the Air Force Reserves. Um, anything happening for you in the Air Force Reserves? Yeah, I, uh, um, you, the ongoing work with the 940th Air Refueling Wing, the, the reserve wing that is uh, operating out of Beale Air Force Base. We we fly um, KC-135 air refuelers, so all my uh, 135 people out there, good on you, way to go. Uh, but it is a blessed <laughs> opportunity to, to both serve church and world, especially in the specific community of uh, the Air Force, the military. Uh, if, you, uh, if I can put a plug in for the good work of the Ministry to the Armed Forces through LCMS, uh, Chaplain Mueller's and Hocana, Chaplains Mueller and Hokana just do an excellent job of loving and serving 
not only our church but our chaplains uh, and uh, it really is a privilege to serve if if you are in a congregation and your pastor is um, of age talk to him about potentially serving in that very uh, rich role of um, guard or reserve chaplaincy or if he'd be so inclined to look at active duty it's a good gig yeah, good, uh, good plug, but also, you know, a reminder to our listeners to continue to pray for our military uh, personnel, but also our chaplains. As you said, we have many LCMS chaplains, always need more, but an opportunity to serve in such a blessed way. So, Pastor, but today we are here to uh, study the scriptures and to give thanks to our Lord and His Holy Spirit leads us. So can you begin our time and begin it in prayer? I would love to. The... Um... The gift of God's Word gives us instruction and devotion from the first psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Holy Father, we give you great thanks for granting to us the gift of your holy word. May we always hold fast to it in faith, rejoicing in the the gospel of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself the Word made flesh. As we embark upon our study of Second Kings 22, may you uh, ever guide us that we may be edified, that you be glorified, and that your church and the world be served through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor. A good reminder, too, what Pastor Bredesen just did is allowed the Psalms to form our prayers. And when you read a psalm or you pray a psalm, you are praying. It's a prayer that's been handed down for song, for prayer, and also forms our own words that when we are able to pray, um, when we are, when we do pray, that we are formed in how to pray as the psalms have as well. Reminder to our listeners this morning that if you want to join our discussion or have any questions based on our text, it's a good one. And Pastor Bredesen has been studying hard, so send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or it's a live program, so you're able to call 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. So, Pastor, uh, we are in... You know, we're getting close to the end of our time in First and Second Kings. It's been a wild ride, I would say, definitely a roller coaster type of situation where you're kind of like, all right, David, yeah, oh, and then you have a Solomon, oh, yeah, oh, and just up and down continuously. Now we've had some very deep, you know, like I don't like a roller coaster, so going down is terrifying. And Manasseh, terrifying, like you're like you're going down the biggest roller coaster ever. Amon wasn't around very long, but then Josiah comes. So, Pastor, Second Kings chapter twenty-two is quite fascinating. What kind of background or thematic or contextual comments do you have to help us out this morning? Yeah, thank you. Um, so you you described the the history of the kings very well in terms of the up and down roller coaster. I, I kind of like roller coasters and the, the thrill that <laughs> is the ride in 
in real life. But here in the scriptures, I, I think I can agree with you that the, the steep and deep descent that Manasseh and Ammon provided the, uh, the kingdom of Judah really was horrifying and incredibly damaging. And it just speaks to the, the importance of good and faithful leadership. Um, that uh, that those whom God places in leadership always need to be founded on the Word of God and not go trifling into the, the world of idolatry. Um, as you mentioned, Manasseh, in his very lengthy reign of 55 years, his son Amon, with two years, the damage that they did in just shy of six decades is is appalling introducing mm-hmm. baal worship um manasseh uh, bringing in the ammonite god moloch and sacrificing children just the the horrific practice that that is and and of course we sadly know that it continues in our day he even mm-hmm. went so far as to uh, set up shrines in the holy temple and um including the um the Canaanite goddess Asherah offering a, a, um, an idol to her in the midst of the temple. So you can only imagine that over the course of a couple of generations, they're just shy of 60 years, these evil practices took root. And so after Amon was uh, assassinated by, um, by those who were working with him, his mm. son, Josiah, took the the helm or or took to the throne ascended the throne at the ripe old age of eight my son <laughs> lucas just turned eight years old a few weeks ago and and i can only imagine the uh, the weight of the position being placed on josiah's shoulders who reigned from 640 bc to 609 bc um, but while I think about the reign of Josiah beginning at eight years old, I'm reminded, as I have in my my own Bible as way of a bookmark, we have prayer cards here at Trinity, and, and on this prayer card that I'm using as a bookmark today, my son, my eight-year-old son, wrote, I love you, Jesus, and mm. uh, didn't give it to me, actually. My secretary found it, and she gave it to me, and the faithfulness that our young people show, the faith of a child, ought to always serve all of God's people, that it is, it is the faith of the child that ought to show us who are, quote, unquote, older and wiser, to, uh, to actually realize our great necessity for the blessedness that is the Word of God. Thank you for that introduction, because to put the perspective of a young king, because before this, uh, you do have another example of a young king, of of Joash. He was seven when he started, and there it was very explicit that he got a lot of help, um, as you look at Second Chronicles and Second Kings. However, in this one, it seems like he's kind of on his own a little more, um, but he... He definitely is one, when you look at it through the lens of what you just said, that when you think of faith like a child, 
where you hear it, you believe it, you know that Jesus loves you more than anything else in this world. And when we get older, we tend to lose that. And for the kings, and this is something I'm continually learning, we always think of kings as what we would put into like a president or to a governor role, where they, they have no theological oversight whatsoever. And even though the king started not in the best way, you know, God's like, well, you don't need a king. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, I'll give you one. But, you know, just okay, you know, <laughs> kind of an idea that there definitely is a spiritual oversight and overseer kind of position as a king. So definitely one of the one of the goals is that this king has faith and trust in the Lord. And, and that faith really is when they do right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and what better person to be able to do that than an eight-year-old who's been molded into this faith and understands the grace of God. So that is a great perspective for us to be reminded of, to have faith like a child, as Jesus tells us. So any, any other thoughts before we begin? You know, the, there is a parallel passage to what we have in Second Kings here, and that would be Second Chronicles 34 and 35. And mm-hmm. they, too, uh, help us understand the life and reign of Josiah and the finding of the book of the law. Um, They help us understand more so the timeline than we have here in second Kings. Um, And you're right. The the text here in second Kings, as well as in second Chronicles doesn't clarify the the godly influences that Josiah had Uh, Mm. just simply is not made known to us. It also is uh, not necessarily a far cry to think that um, the priest, Hilkiah, Shaphan, the secretary of state, and even Jedida, the mother of Josiah, probably had some um, great mm-hmm. influence on Josiah and the molding of his young faith. And as he continues <clears throat> excuse me, throughout his life uh, to see that unfold and strengthen in grace and mercy— to Yahweh. And that is, that is a, you know, you're right. We can't say for sure without a doubt. Um, but there had to have been something, uh, cause of the reforms that he did for sure. Um, and it, and it is, it, it is one of those realities of God's word. And that's what we see in first, second Kings, obviously without the whole Bible, but one theme I've seen as well, God's word will work even in the midst of darkness. And that's, I think, a true testament in our text today. So I think it's time to start. Let's get mm-hmm. let's get rolling here. We will read just verses 1 and 2, and a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah and of Bozkoth. Uh, Bozkoth. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh and walked in all the way of David, his father, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So I just want to I want to stop there for a moment and see if you have any thoughts, because I was very intrigued with these words. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And this kind of reminds me a little bit of thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And so um uh, just what does that mean? Any any thoughts on on that right, not going right or left as we look at Scripture today? Well, yeah, the, you know, Jesus instructs us on this as well when he says, uh, do not sway uh, straight too far to the right or to the left. There's something to be said for keeping it in the, the narrow middle 
Luther mm. is well known for saying there are two sides of the horse you can fall off of. And one of my brother pastors out here in California said, well, if you try really hard, you can find other sides of the horse to fall off of, uh, which is probably true. But I would say you probably have to give it some pretty good effort. But I think that there's, you know, go figure Jesus offering wisdom and the scriptures offering us great wisdom that um, that that narrow road of faithfulness in both doctrine and practice will will lead God's people well and faithfully that we can move forward together uh, in that narrow path. Uh, always seeking um, the the eternal life that's been granted to us in the waters of holy baptism uh, and sticking right there in the middle. And it, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of of uh, when you have a confirmation sermon um, along those lines. You know, one of our prayers, and and this is not necessarily in the liturgy, but definitely my prayer and a prayer I, I tell our parents to pray for their own kids is to stay on the path to stay in that way. And a testament here is that that should be our prayer because it's in his hands. And and how uh, the, the kid who uh, you you figure that, that that kid will never be involved in, in his faith life ever again, that we pray for that the same with the kid that we predict will because we just don't know. And that's why we trust in that. And that's why I love Josiah. As you hear it today, I encourage our listeners to really see this as a time for prayer for those in your life who maybe aren't on the path and to show that there is, that God can work through this and God can point you not only to the Lord, but also to crush your idols and to other things. And that all of a sudden they might find the word is crazy. Even in the temple, they finally <laughs> found the word. It's crazy to think about. But those first two verses, right. Pastor, do you find anything else that would be highlighted today? Well, I love that you point us to uh, the instruction of children, because it is so significant, not only in our prayers in terms of encouraging the uh, the young people to take their faith seriously and to hold fast to the scriptures, but also in in our ongoing work of catechizing ourselves as adult mm-hmm. hearers of the word and and letting that overflow into the lives of our children, uh, beginning in the home and as the church is able to supplement that, just the the rich beauty of ongoing prayer and catechesis throughout all of our life, ever moving forward in that path toward Christ and His mercy. Mm, amen. So, so Josiah, he starts his reign in verses 3 through 6, well, good afternoon, uh, morning, saints of our Lord. Apparently, we have lost our uh, faithful hosts, Reverend Brady Finner and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. I am Pastor Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran here in Sacramento, California. And uh, due to technical difficulties, apparently, uh, I am now flying solo uh, for the time being. So God have mercy on us all as we continue our path through 2 Kings chapter 22. We went through a little introductory matter as well as looking at the first couple of uh, verses in 2 Kings 22. I'll now pick it up with 2 Kings 22 verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, 
the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshullam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given to the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who, um, who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked for from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, where they deal honestly. Here again, we, we remember from whence we came, looking at the chapters leading up to Second Kings 22, as the evil kings Manasseh and Ammon no doubt had allowed the temple uh, not only to be used for idolatrous purposes, but also to, be, um, to fall into disrepair. And so as Josiah reigning uh, in the midst of his time recognizes this and sets his craftsmen to work, he, he encourages um, his priest and his secretary of state to go forward and to proceed with the, um, the improvements on the temple, the repairs and the improvements on the temple. One of the things that most fascinates me about these verses, uh, verses 3 through 7, is that he just hands over the money. He, he writes them a blank check, he hands it to them, and he says, go to work. Uh, and, and he trusts them to do the work. These, these men uh, were faithful in their vocations that God had given them, and they were honest in their dealings and could be trusted. Uh, we could use much of that in our day and age here, uh, here in 21st century North America. For those who deal uh, faithfully and honestly in, in their vocations, what a blessing you all are to the, um, the society around us. So, um, so they get to work, uh, undoubtedly, as they begin repairing the temple. There is some level of deconstruction that will need to take place, certainly in terms of pulling all of the idols out of the temple and destroying them but also in terms of preparing for the preparation of rebuilding the temple as it should be um, presented. Um, we hear from Second uh, Chronicles 34 that at age 16, Josiah had begun to seek the God of David, his father, and that at, 20, uh, at age 20, he began to purge the idolatrous practices. And it was now at the age of 26 that he, in the 18th year of his reign, that he began to rebuild the temple. And so as they're cleaning out all of these idols from the temple, they, uh, um, they find the book of the law, beginning in verse 8 of Second Kings 22. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. 
and Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it to the king. Now, this is just a fascinating passage to me because, uh, you know, serving here in a church that was uh, the the sanctuary was built in 1948 uh, and uh, consecrated in 1949, we have a few skeletons in our closets. And there are things here at Trinity that have undoubtedly gotten lost over the years. But it is amazing to me to think that they lost the word of the Lord. They lost the book of the law. Now, it's important for us to remember that when we hear that the book of the law in in the Old Testament here, that it is not specifically talking about the law gospel construct that we Lutherans are so well aware of. Rather, um, the book of the law is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the the first five books of the, uh, the of Moses. I see now that our uh, friend and uh, fearless leader, Brady, <laughs> Pastor Brady Fennern, is back with us. Welcome. I, I apologize if I caused all of your listeners to run away in, in terror over the last few minutes. Oh, my. This is a first uh, to happen here in Thy Strong Word. I started in January. First time this has happened. For some reason, I was lost. And so Stephanie's trying to call me. Well, the reality was I thought you were lost. So I'm like, why is she calling me? What's happening here? And then I get back on and you're rocking it. I mean, you're like, you're moving on. We're almost done with the chapter, huh? <laughs> we're we're working toward things. We're working uh, towards it. By the, by the grace of God Almighty, we are working on things. Oh my but goodness! Pastor what a Fenner, time! Please, you know. Feel, yeah, feel free <laughs> to blame me. Uh, my <laughs> wife, who has worked in information technology in the past, is firmly convinced that I have an electromagnetic pulse about me, and that I kill all things uh, electronic. So oh, I take full responsibility, so and I apologize sincerely. Well, yeah, well, I, I tell you what, here's what's happening. All right, this is fun for our listeners, is that the whole time I think you're off the line, so I just keep going. And and so at the same time, you're going, so we're both teaching, and you at least have someone listening to you. I'm just talking to myself here. So here's what we're going to do, Pastor, is uh, we're going to take our break now, um, and uh, we'll we'll catch up where we are at the end of this. Actually, let me, let me ask this first. What verse are you on? Uh, we have uh, just begun the section there with verse 8 and looking at the finding of the law. I was kind of filling in the listeners on what that book of the law is. Oh, perfect, perfect. You're the man. That's why I'm saying greatest theologians on the air. So right now we need to take our break, uh, and we'll be, we'll be right back as we study with Pastor Jason Bredesen of Trinity Lutheran Church, studying Second Kings chapter 22, and we'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Smith, host of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. Join us as we read through the book of Concord and look at confessional topics as learned guests and lively discussion will lead us to appreciate how the treasures of the Lutheran confessions apply in the 21st century as much as they did in the 16th. So join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central on KFUO Radio or on demand through the Concord Matters podcast. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Hi, I'm Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. As Lutherans, we strive to grow in Christ in our daily lives. Take time this summer to join us for our summer webinar series titled Growing in Christ. You'll discover how to grow strong and healthy physically, spiritually, and mentally, and finally put it all together in how you can serve your neighbor also. Check out lcef.org slash webinars for more information and join us this summer. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing new worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 8.15 and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 22 with Pastor Jason Bredesen and part-time host, actually, this morning, Pastor Jason Bredesen. And as we look at our text today, it's a reminder for us that sometimes we can't even get our own uh, mics correct. So as we're both teaching, at least Pastor Bredesen had an audience this morning. So, uh, Pastor, let's do this. Verses 8 through 10. Did you just read those verses or did you go further? Um, I did uh, go ahead and read uh, 8 through 10. I, um, I gotcha. did not Perfect. go further. All right. So tell us, um, well, okay, so you're explaining the book of the law. And so can you explain it, I guess, just to me, because I didn't hear it. What, what, what were you explaining? Sure. Um, again, it's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the books that uh, we attribute or that the scriptures attribute to Moses. And when we hear, when we in our Lutheran context hear law, we think it's the Ten Commandments, uh, which certainly it is, and that it uh, serves um, alongside the gospel to instruct us in the life of faith. But here in the Old Testament, as we consider the book of the law, it is the, really the entirety of the teaching of God, both law and gospel. We consider the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, obviously, there is great law that is proclaimed when they uh, eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But we also have that very first beautiful proclamation of the gospel. And so in the midst of this book of the quote-unquote law, we have every aspect of Christian teaching uh, to include the encompassing of all of law and gospel, which, of course, that gospel is enlightened and enlivened by the person and work of Jesus. But it, it, uh, it really is much more than just do this and don't do that. It serves really uh, as instruction for us, the Torah, the, uh, the in, informing us of the ways of God and how he loves and serves us as we live out our life of um, his righteousness and our sinfulness. 
I remember during uh, seminary, one of our professors, Dr. Henry Rowald, mentioned, and we went through kind of the mission of the Old Testament, and one of his comments that he made, which I think was wonderful, is that when you read the Old Testament, and he was specifically speaking about the first five books, he said, always look for the dab of grace, is how we, how we talked about it. Of course, I was always thinking about pancakes, and you put a little bit of dab of butter on top of it the whole time. But anyways, we have that dab of grace, and you see that grace throughout the law and gospel in the Old Testament. And so when uh, Hilkiah, the priest, reads this, I mean, first of all, it's fascinating. He's like, by the way, we found this book. Isn't this great? And he's like, okay, and he starts reading it. Um, did you touch on that at all? Like. I mean, this is kind of crazy. How does yeah, this happen? Uh, Any thoughts? I mentioned the, you know, the skeletons in the closet that we have at oh. Trinity <laughs> that, that we've lost here over the years. But God willing, we have not strayed too far from the Word of God as in our doctrine and practice. I'd, I'd like to think that we've, uh, by the grace of God, remained fairly faithful. But Absolutely. it is interesting, isn't it, how um, how they lost the sacred scriptures. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think certainly much of that could be attributed to the the horrific reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, as uh, as undoubtedly they they purged the holy scriptures from the temple in order to set up their uh, evil idol idols. But uh, but it really is fascinating. Um, you know, there is possibility that a faithful. Levitical priest would have hidden this somewhere uh, in the temple to avoid a uh, evil purge by Manasseh or Ammon. But the, regardless of how it came about, we recognize that this book of the law was no longer in the active life of the temple community in the, the uh, house of Judah. And I, I think there's a, a certain point where we can understand how this can happen in our own context. Not, I wouldn't say I've ever seen anything explicitly like this, where people just couldn't find the Bible anymore. But there is a there is a dynamic, and I remember growing up in it, and also serving like during camp and during my college years and so forth. That there are times where people are like, you know, do we really need to read the Bible so much? Mentality. Now, none of it was explicit, but more like, you know what, when you're in high school and you go to a, a lock-in or something, the last thing you want to do is, is sit down and study Second Kings. I mean, this is just not what you want to be doing. And so I think there's that kind of dynamic where we can let that be the driving force. Like, oh, those kids are here, therefore, yada, yada, yada. You can go down that line and all of a sudden either you rent out the building and, okay, you know what? Uh, we can't use it then the Boy Scouts are there or this meeting, this happening or that meeting. Because you think about how many times can we meet as a congregation, the leadership, even as a church, and just sit down and talk, go through things without ever praying and without the scriptures. And no one is in the room saying, I deny the Bible. But it can easily happen mm-hmm. where we're just not really using that as our driving force. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, uh, you speak very clearly of a... Uh a danger that exists in our world today, that if the scriptures are not guiding our faith and practice, then we will very quickly get off track and find ourselves in some very dangerous, idolatrous waters, um, much the same way that the, uh, the temple community and the people of Judah did here in our passage. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, unless we focus fully on 
who God has called us to be in the word and rejoicing that the word of the Lord endures forever. Even if our fearless host does cut out on us, we know (laughs) that the the Lord is faithful in keeping us steadfast in his word. But we, we also ought to remember that, um, our faithfulness is significant in terms of keeping the word of God ever before our eyes. And this is, you know, the the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword comes to mind as well. Um, and we, this is why you call pastors, right? This is why you call teachers. This is why you call other church workers for the sake of making sure that the word gets out and how quickly we can fall away from that. So Lord have mercy, O Holy Spirit, enter in, I think should be our continual prayer. So just to kind of go Amen. step back a little bit on the context of what's happening. So they go to the, the Hilkiah is there and he says, by the way, I found this book. <laughs> and, and then what's beautiful about it is um, then Shaphan told the, uh, told the, told the king, He's found this book, the book of the law, mm-hmm. and then he read he reads it before the king, and mm-hmm. it's such a I think I think that's so profound is that it, it's it's something wow we found this book and it wasn't something wow cool let's go put this into a glass case, but why do mm-hmm. we have the word to be preached and to be read and as we say inwardly digested. So what's the yes. importance of this scripture being read, proclaimed um, for you as we talk about here in KFUO? Well, I think it's fascinating the way that it's it's almost addressed in a very nonchalant way. You know, the workmen find the book and they give it to Hilkiah and Hilkiah kind of blows the dust off of it <laughs> and, and opens it up and says, oh, hey, look, the Holy Scriptures. And he gives it to Shaphan and says, hey, you know, the king might want to see this. And he takes it before the king. And you're right, he reads it. They don't put it in the glass case. It is not a museum piece from days long ago, but it is that living and active word of God that pierces to soul and spirit, uh, bone and marrow, Mm. uh, ever showing us not just our sin, but also the great Savior and salvation that we have promised to us through God our Lord. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on to look at this and say, now yeah, this this book is is alive. It's not just words on a page, but it does serve us. It is the the logos of God. It is the, mm. the, the very living word of God, Jesus himself, who, um, who in his incarnation comes and shows us all of life. And this God is where right it's here, but eternal life. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Life eternal. Absolutely. And that's what you're receiving. How, how often we forget that when we hear the word of God ourselves, that like, wow, mm-hmm. this is the actual living word of God. And so and one of the beauties of this is it shows the word of God working. So I want to continue to read um, 11 through 13 shows us, and it's beautiful. Sometimes you, well, parts of this you wish that would happen in your own congregation, maybe not the tearing of clothes, but uh, parts of it you <laughs> wish you saw yourself. And here we hear 11 through 13, he reads the book of the law, and this is what happens. This is how God works through it. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. 
And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king, king's servant, saying, Go inquire Yahweh for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of Yahweh that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So the word of God is living and active and worked in Josiah. Now, one thing I want to take a step back to here, Pastor, I want to hear your thoughts. In verses 3 through 7, it is clear that he understands that some basic things that he's supposed to do. So my perception is that he has faith, that he is definitely a man of faith who understands Yahweh. I got to get the temple. I got to make sure that's established. And I know you hit on that when you were in these verses. At the same time, he was continually growing in this faith as we all are. So when the word was read to him, he hears it in all of its, I would say, truth and clarity. What's his reaction and what does he say? Oh, he, he, Undoubtedly, what was read to him, in in part at least, would would be Deuteronomy 28 and possibly Leviticus 26, which offer not only the blessings of covenant keeping, but also the curses. And as he's looking at the evil works of his father and his grandfather, Manasseh and Amon, and uh, where that has led God's people to that point, and uh, and and he he reads how far they have departed from faithfulness to Yahweh. It rips him open, and he shows that uh, rent spirit by rending his clothes, uh, which was the the common practice in ancient Israel when showing repentance and faith. It is. His heart was torn open, and he had no choice but to show that by rending his clothes as well. He was broken, uh, and uh, undoubtedly uh, there was probably no small fear, both in the positive and negative sense, of what is to come. I I and my people have sinned against the holy God who has faithfully shown his love and care for us throughout history, and we have um, radically stepped away from that, and now we are faced with the truth that um, as there are blessings that come with faithfulness, there are also curses when we uh, are unfaithful. And it's really fascinating to me that he not only feels it himself, tears his clothes, but then he goes to all these people surrounding him, you know, not just Shaphan, who, who has read it to him, but he goes to others, and he says, go inquire of Yahweh for me. And at first you're like, you're telling them to go to the Lord and speak on your behalf or something? Like, no, inquire means seek. So he's calling them out and saying, you need to seek the Lord just like I do. Actually, all of Judah needs to do this. Because we all need to repent. I mean, it's hard not to think of Jonah and Nineveh in the same process here. Um, The short sermons that definitely cut to the heart and lead people to that. So this is an evangelistic John the Baptist type of call as well. Any thoughts on that? Well, the preaching of the law does its work, doesn't it? It it Mm. kills. The law ultimately serves to kill us, show us our sin and our need for a Savior. 
And um, Josiah recognizes that very clearly. I have sinned, and we as a people have sinned. The, the corporate nature of the sin of the people uh, is, is before him, and he is their leader, and ultimately it falls on him, even though he was not the one that uh, instituted the evil practices. So, yeah, he, uh, he's concerned, and rightly so. I love the, um, the, um, the advocacy, that, or, or yeah, he seeks the advocacy of those around him. He, mm-hmm. he says, let us all approach the throne of grace uh, mm-hmm. in confidence, because we need grace and mercy to look to Hebrews 4. And, um, you know, that really ought to instruct us in the church in 21st century North America as well, that that as we have lost the word in, in many and various ways, and God willing, that word is calling us to repentance and faith as well, and that individually and as the community of faith, the church, we are pursuing repentance and faith and seeking the grace and mercy of Christ in the time of our need. And it's just a reminder as well that, um, well, one, the word works. Two, it's too easy. It's too easy for us to hear something that says, oh, you know, this you've done wrong. And for us to start saying something along the lines of, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm not as bad as Manasseh. You know, you're right. You know, I, you know, not as bad as grandpa here. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. You know, grandpa did this and this and this. And here it is totally not only himself, but also all of Judah. And he inquires and inquires, Mm -hmm. asks them to inquire of the Lord. So I think that is a very helpful distinction too, is no Lord have mercy on me. Um, A sinner, indeed, a sinner um, is a very important part of what we do as Christians when we confess our sins, that this is not me trying to say I'm not as bad as somebody else. No, I'm the worst of sinners. Um, And then obviously uh, to always understand that is, but Christ has died for me um, and how that we believe in the scriptures. So, Pastor, I, we, uh, we're kind of on the edge of about 10 minutes left in our time. I'd like to get to the end, but also I want to make sure that uh, you have your time to any other highlights you have for these very important verses 11 through 14 or 13. Well, I, you know, following in the vein that you took, um, I would also add Josiah takes responsibility here. Uh, he mm-hmm. doesn't pass the buck onto his father or his grandfather or anybody else. He owns it. I think we have a tendency in our day and age to say, well, the devil made me do it. And ah, yes. certainly uh, the devil, the flesh and the world, the unholy trinity are always working against us. But at the end of the day, we are culpable for our own sin. And Josiah recognizes that and and serves to instruct us that mm, we bear responsibility and uh, until we, you know, uh, unless we repent and turn to Christ in faith, um, our our way will go the wrong way. Uh, and it is God in his faithfulness in Jesus Christ that offers that forgiveness ever so freely. And now from this point, there's been repentance. They realize the wrath of God. And now they want to learn more about the Lord. So they must have known some of the grace of God as well. So let's continue on, verses 14 through 17. So Hekiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, Shalom, 
the son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, and all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods. They have provoked, and they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. So I want to start there because we want the law to kind of hit them and us in this process. So they go to Halda, and there's a lot of question marks on that. I maybe want to touch on that a little bit later. But what is the prophecy that is in store for Judah? Well, it is the fulfillment of what they found in the book of the law, that uh, the consequences of their unfaithfulness will will lead to a breach uh, in the covenants. Ultimately, that will happen in 587 BC with the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity. Babylon is coming. They're they're already breathing down their necks, and um, it's going to happen. Uh, the the Lord in um, in His holiness uh, needs to deal with that sin and has chosen to do so through the Babylonian Empire. So as uh, as Josiah and his cohort recognize that they have sinned and seek the uh, wisdom of Huldah and the prophetic word of the Lord, uh, she makes it pretty clear, you know, there there are consequences to our sin. As, as we experience in our own day and age, uh, we know that we live in the free grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and him uh, living and reigning for all of eternity. But we still face consequences for our sin. And this is uh, an important distinction is the reality of that sin has consequences. We're not talking about necessary salvation, but there is consequences. We see that throughout the kings as well. There is repentance that we see, but it doesn't mean that the that there was not destruction, that they did not lose their place. Even though Josiah was faithful, it didn't mean that the people were being faithful. What it means is that there still was sin, there's still a lack of faith, and we see that wholeheartedly here, which points us once again, as you said so well, Pastor, to the cross, where this wrath was not to be quenched, but but we know that it is the wrath of God that was put on the shoulders of Christ and on his feet and the blood that poured off of him. And so that's a reminder for us that this wrath that we're hearing about, which we all deserve, is something that we understand as New Testament people, as Christian people, of knowing the whole Bible and the, the story and how it goes and how it will end, that that wrath went on Christ himself. So, um, Pastor, as we move forward, we have the distinction. Here's the people. This is what's going to happen. And then then we hear more about what's what does this mean for the king. So, any last thoughts before we move on when he speaks about Josiah? Um, you had mentioned possibly touching on Hulda. Do you want to do that now? Oh, or sure. Yeah, let's do time? this. Let's do this. Let's get okay. done with our, our chapter, our chapter, and then I want to get to that. So let's let's get to Hulda. So keep me in line on that, especially if I get lost um, or somehow I lose connection again. <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll make sure we cover that. So let's read 18 through the end of chapter 22. 
But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus you shall say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before Yahweh, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares Yahweh. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. So we hear what's going to happen to Judah, but what's going to happen for Josiah? Well, his his repentance and faith is being rewarded, as it were, or honored in that he will not see the the nation go into Babylonian captivity, and he will not see the destruction of the holy city, Jerusalem. Um, I can only imagine uh, hearing that would not only bring comfort and hope, but it would also be a bit of a sense of foreboding in that you know what's coming. And while while he may be saved from witnessing that uh, and and being a part of that, it's also his his own children, his own grandchildren, his people that he has led faithfully for many years now that will will be the bearers of that burden. Um, so for him, it, it is a, a blessing and offering hope and comfort, but also I would imagine uh, pains him no less as he loves his people and serves them. The same dynamic that we live in is the reality of um, I'm saved because of the blood of Christ, and we grieve those who are not. And, and there's comfort in that, and there's deep anxiety in that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Did we lose you again, Pastor Finnern? It appears we may have lost our fearless host, Pastor Finnern, once again. I'll go ahead and uh, continue on if the the powers that be behind the board will allow me. Um, yes, uh, the uh, the grace and mercy of Jesus abounds. I want to touch on Huldah, the prophetess, just briefly as uh, we finish our time together. We don't know. So um, Zephaniah, the prophet, as well as Jeremiah, were active in um, in ministry during that time, and we don't know why Josiah and his cohort would not have pursued the word of the Lord from them. Uh, and and so they, maybe they were outside of Jerusalem or something at the time and weren't readily available. But there's Huldah sitting in the suburbs of Jerusalem in the second quarter. And so they go and seek her counsel, the wisdom of the Lord given to her. And I see that Pastor Finnern is back now. <laughs> Welcome back, sir. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, you were you were going strong on Huldah. So what do you got? We have 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Oh, mercy. Um, I would, you know, I would just say this is a call to the men of the church to step up and be faithful. Jerome, St. Jerome, the early church father, used this passage to recognize the importance of uh, men being faithful in their call. 
And when they are not, God still cares for his people and provides for the word. But uh, ultimately, it is the, the men, the responsibility of the, uh, those who uh, God has called to be the head of the household to serve in that capacity. Pastor Jason Bredesen, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California, giving us God's strong word from 2 Kings chapter 22. Pastor Bredesen, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you. Actually, I should say thank you for being a host as well. But saints of our Lord, we hear today of the power of God's word, even working in the darkest of places. This is a reminder for us to preach the word of God, to hear the word of God. And as we look at the word, we see Christ who has done everything for us on this cross. That is our hope and that is our strength. I'm your host, Brady Finner and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.